The planet's puppet masters almost surely have a plan This clearly may be something near beyond the realm of man And until you've thoroughly tested every last close trusted view I find the more you think you know, the less you really do That's true, Dr. Zayas Where would we be without THC? The power of Christ compels you people from sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and if you can contain your astonishment, read between the ones and zeros of our vast arconic matrix of modern life, and parse the empty, rotting, unrecognizable husk we call culture, there lies a language that few can read, a tapestry of symbolism and veneration that can be found in nearly anything designed to get your attention. Political speeches, monument placement, award shows, bizarre news stories, so-called space launches, art galas, fashion shows, corporate logos, groundbreaking ceremonies, magazine covers, highly charged national tragedies, archaeological finds, the medals, patches, and insignias of the players paraded across your TV screen, and everything else that comprises the never-ending onslaught of activity to fill your newsfeed. When you examine it with a skeptical eye, you find very little is truly spontaneous, original, or organic. Even dumb ex-presidential NFT collections. It doesn't really matter where you look if you know how to look. And very few have honed that skill like the headmaster of the ever-expanding Secret Sun Institute for Advanced Synchromysticism, the great Chris Knowles, who is here today for a twelfth time. You know him as the author of important works like Our Gods Wear Spandex, The Secret History of Comic Book Heroes, and Secret History of Rock and Roll, The Mysterious Roots of Modern Music, as well as his novel He Will Live Up in the Sky, and the curated collection of his best blog posts and series over the years, The Endless American Midnight, Dispatches from the Secret Sun. He has recently decoded a few big cultural events to a degree that many of us have missed, and has drilled down deeper as to what lies at the core of the Capstone Cabal's secret religion, and I am psyched to get into it as always. Kicking off the new year right with a man with a mind born for these times, the deep-diving deity decoder, complex tapestry detangler, and the synchromystic sage of the Secret Sun blog, Chris, always a pleasure. How the hell are you? <laughs> well, after that introduction, I'm great. <laughs> I'm walking on a cloud. Ah. Uh. It's all part of the old nine to five. Yeah, it's like my ego is just going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to stand out because shows like this are a dime a dozen these days. Oh, THC will never be a dime a dozen. Uh, the originator. <laughs> too kind, too kind. Well, I guess we're going to be going over a couple of recent events and your ritual decoding of them as usual. But to kick it off. You were talking to me about the overarching thesis and just the general relationship between the national security state and cults in general. What's important for people to know to set this up right? Well, since there's been so much going on in the past month, like just really in your face kind of stuff, and maybe a lot of symbolism and ritualism that people might not necessarily recognize as such, I wanted to just sort of touch upon my foundation, you know, where all this comes from, how do I approach this material? How do I do it differently maybe than a lot of other people do? So, you know, one of the things that I was saying to you is that, and 
this is something that sort of Gordon, <laughs> you know, our friend Gordon really filled me in on, so to speak, is that, you know, we live in a national security state and it's becoming more and more obvious that we live in a totalizing national security state. All you need to do is just watch the news programs and they're filled with commentators who are all quote unquote ex-CIA, quote unquote ex-FBI. The deep state, I guess they beat back their their final boss, right? <laughs> and I guess Trump ostensibly or maybe ritually was the last obstacle standing in their way. Hmm. And now they're just becoming more and more open and unapologetic and shameless and, you know, just really in your face about all this stuff. You know, not just the ritualism, but also just the fact that you know, as I've been saying for many, many years, you know, this country is a national security state that's run by the military industrial complex or controlled by the military industrial complex. It's who's running the show and who controls the show might be two different things. But the national security state, which just commands vast sums of money, they can lose two trillion dollars and not, you know, miss a step. They are the ones calling the shots. And if you Doubt that, just look at the mainstream media these days. Like I said, you cannot throw a rock on a MSNBC or CNN show without being five ex, quote unquote, ex-CIA agents. And, you know, we understand that this has been going on for a very long time with Mockingbird and also the, all the connections in Hollywood and so on. You know, just the media itself is very much beholden to the agendas of the national security state. But, you know, one of the things that I would take a step further than maybe a lot of people like who look at the same material is that you can't look at a national security state without taking into account cults, sects, and occultism and ritual. They've always been very intimately linked. I believe that a few years ago when Trump was first elected, I came on your show and was talking about the Praetorian Guard who were sort of the secret police, but also the culture shapers and the culture makers of the ancient Roman Empire. And, you know, we have the same thing today. It's taken different forms. We have obviously different forms of media, but it's pretty much the same deal. And probably more in our country than in other countries. I mean, every country has a national security apparatus that surrounds it, so to speak. I just think it's just much more elaborate and totalizing in our country than it is, say, in Russia or China or Iran or, or wherever. It's hard for people to appreciate the scope of this national security apparatus, but also the scope of the occultism and cults and all these kind of things that are so deeply embedded into this monolith that it becomes almost unrecognizable to people. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you something. It's just become so obvious and so open in the past few years, particularly for somebody like me who's been studying the actual symbolism of the, you know, Washington, D.C. and the Capitol and the Masonic orders and all these kind of groups, studying a lot of things that, don't really get noticed or commented on, say, on like your usual kind of conspiracy sites or something, you know, because they're always talking about the Illuminati and Satanism and all this kind of stuff. 
and I always sort of look more specifically at the actual symbols and what the actual symbols mean, where they come from, the histories, and so on. And when you do that, which I've been doing for quite some time now, it becomes very easy to spot these things. And of course, I have what's called Knowles's first law. And Knowles's first law is that whenever a controversy over symbolism erupts in the media, it's almost always hiding a completely different symbolic message altogether. Mm -hmm. And most recently, I talked about this in the context of the Balenciaga thing. So I think that we're just getting to a point now where the rituals have become so ubiquitous and the ops, <laughs> the ops, I, I always start to wonder if these people can even keep track of all the ops and you know, all the, all the ritualism and all this kind of stuff. Cause you know, the, the whole idea of like what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. I mean, that's the whole business of these groups. And it's interesting to me watching this whole phenomenon with Elon Musk, where he's starting to peel back the layers. I mean, you know, everybody goes, well, he's just part of it and everything like that, which may be true. But the thing you have to take into account is that, you know, we're not living in a Saturday morning cartoon. We're living in the real world where power brokers are constantly vying for control and one-upsmanship. I mean, these people are all narcissists. They don't want to take orders from everyone else. They all want to be at the top of the pyramid, right? So Musk might be doing these things and still be part of the overarching national security state because he wants to be on top of it. So mm -hmm. he's peeling back the layers and all these, you know, all this chicanery that the uh, FBI and so on were involved in with Twitter and everything like that, which I'm sure is 10 times worse at Google and 10 times worse at Facebook and so on and so forth. But it's just been a very interesting process to watch because you start to wonder, like, is this the war in heaven heating up again? You know, that's mm. kind of how I see it, that he's taking a lot of tricks from the Donald Trump playbook, you know, the gaslighting and the, the constant provocations and the constant teasing and the constant bullying i mean it's very much he's definitely become the next trump he's sort of like the augustus to trump's julius right <laughs> you know mm. he's, he's the augustus caesar but you know we have to look at this in the context of what's happening in the overall culture and the fact that and not only the overall culture but the overall economy where hollywood is in serious trouble i've been saying this for years and people just didn't believe me but now we're starting to see tens of thousands of layoffs. We're seeing billion dollar, million dollar franchises just killed outright. None of these companies have any money left. The era of free money is over. But we're also seeing big tech, big yeah. tech layoffs. We've seen just this year, the number I saw in just sort of the major big tech firms, 152,000 people have been laid off this year. Jeez. You know, journalism, too, some of these, you know, BuzzFeed, Vice, these types of middle ground media companies, they're also laying people off en masse. And I heard you draw an analogy before about the night of long knives or just this general idea that you have a lot of foot soldiers doing your dirty work and they think they're in the club and they think they're going to get a treat and a pat on the head. And really, once they've served their usefulness, they are abused like anybody. They are cut out of the circle first. And I think, you know, with these firings, that's a pretty good analogy. Like they serve the psychopaths and they 
thought they were in the club, and they clearly are not. They are very expendable. Well, there's another thing going on here. And what it was is that as America, you know, as the American economy was emerging from the Great Recession, the Fed just basically made money free. So we had all this free money flooding the system along with the usual money laundering and tax dodging and all these other kind of things. And this money needed somewhere to go. Yeah. So we had this whole class of new venture capitalists pop up and just start throwing billions of dollars at anybody who had a business plan. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? So all this online media. So what we had in the, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago is that we had sites like Gawker, which basically nobody expected much at the time, but became a huge thing, right? They, of course, Peter Thiel <laughs> got them uh, knocked off the boards. But we had a lot of money sunk into digital media because everybody thought, oh, yeah, digital media is the next big thing. Digital media is the next big thing. And pop culture is the next big thing and all this kind of stuff. And all this money was just flooded. I mean, these companies were just flooded with money. They didn't even know what to do with the money that they had. That's why we saw, you know, those videos of like Twitter, you know, the, this woman comes in, this young woman comes in and basically does no work all day, but she's getting like kombucha and espresso and, you know, all these delicious dinners and then, you know, sitting on the beanbag chairs. I mean, it's just because there was just so much money flooding big tech because there's just nowhere else for it to go. It has to go somewhere. Right. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with Hollywood. We had all this money flooding Hollywood. But that money has been restarted to recede for a while. I mean, I remember 10 years ago, Spielberg and Lucas said Hollywood is it's a dinosaur. It's on its last legs. It's going out. Now we're seeing that. We're seeing these massive layoffs. We're seeing these projects being killed. Wow. You know, we're seeing streaming services. I think a lot of these major streaming services, there's going to be a winnowing effect. A lot of the stuff is going to be just cleared out. And of course, what we also had and we've talked about this on many an occasion, is the whole woke virus, the whole woke contagion. Yes. Now, this is the interesting thing when you bring up Musk, is that I had talked about a few years ago, and I think we talked about it on the show too, Ricky Gervais's basically excoriation of Hollywood, the Hollywood elites at the Golden Globes. Yes, yes. And I sort of saw, the, I, you know, the piece I wrote on that, I called the insanity assassin. Like maybe Gervais was tasked to start this process of beating back this woke contagion, which has just basically infested the entire city, right? Yeah. And I think that maybe Musk's job is to do that with big tech, because who did he fire? He fired all the diversity people, all the, the people who work for the CIA and FBI as quote unquote, you know, moderators. They're all just there to enforce ideological discipline. They're no different than the old Roman censors, right? I mean, they're literally the same thing as the old Roman censors. The problem being is that they're all working in service of this insane demonic contagion, which is wokeness, which is just basically, you know, a massive murder-suicide cult. <laughs> so, No, uh, honestly, it's I mean, I, it really is. If you look at the language that is spoken by the woke, I mean, it's no different than Germany in the early 30s or Rwanda in the 90s. You know, I mean, it's all demonization in order to eliminate the undesirables, you know, or the, the Bolsheviks in the 20s. I mean, there are all these precedents that we can name for this. And it's always the same people that are targeted, like the small businessmen and the farm owners, and you know, that kind of thing, what the Soviets called the kulaks. So 
yeah, I mean, woke is, you know, it's 100% CIA, it's 100% globalist, I mean, all these kind of things. But I think that the Frankenstein monster went on the rampage a little too long. <laughs> yes. And, you know, we're starting to see people like David Zaslav at Warner Brothers Discovery, you know, being very explicitly anti-woke, you know, also Musk. I think that if Musk is kind of saying these things out loud, I'm sure that people like Zuckerberg and who's ever running Google right now, I mean, all these people like quietly assent to this, you know what I mean? But they just can't say it out loud because their clientele and their business plans sort of preclude that. With Musk, he doesn't care. <laughs> He's mm -hmm. just going in with a, you know, with a sledgehammer and just smashing everything that he sees. So it's, again, this doesn't mean that he's not part of the system. I mean, he just authorized something like 10,000 new Starlink connections to Ukraine, mm -hmm. you know, which basically Starlink is how NATO is operating the Ukraine war. I mean, it's not the Ukrainians. I mean, most, I mean Ukrainians have just been slaughtered. I mean, it's, we're seeing this more and more now that we're, it's being acknowledged that the real fighting is being done by mostly british but also american special services the polish it's not the ukraine war it's the nato russia war with ukraine being the theater right yes, you know what i'm saying yes and musk is he's totally down with that program so it's not like he's fighting against you know the general direction that this occultic national security state wants to go yes yes well that is a really good lay of the land and I wanted to get more into the specific details of some of the symbolism in recent events. You mentioned uh, Balenciaga. That's a good one to start with because a lot of people were talking about it and it had this kind of Pizzagate flavor to it, of course. Mm. But you went a lot deeper on some of the entities invoked or the gods invoked. Like yes. Balenciaga is owned by group Artemis. Well, this story comes out the same time as the Artemis launch. Artemis is the twin sister of Apollo. Again, twin stories seeded. And then what's really crazy, Artemis is the goddess of nature, childbirth, the moon, the hunt, sudden death, animals, <laughs> virginity, young women, and archery. Sudden death is the big one there, but there's also this obsession with the Hunter Biden laptop. So you got mm -hmm, Hunter in there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's just like, that's the stuff that a lot of other people tend to miss, but you do a lot of good work there. Also, the founder of Balenciaga was Cristobal Balenciaga. The guy's first name is Cristobal. That is crazy. That's yeah. clearly a made-up name or something. Well, no, that's a Spanish rendering of my name, Christopher. But it is interesting because it's Christ Baal, you know? <laughs> and then Balenciaga. And, you know, of course, everybody sort of saw how the police tape in those very creepy ritualistic settings that they put these kids in had Baal instead of, you know, it was spelled B-A-A. -A. Yeah, totally purposeful. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, every single square inch of these photo shoots is poured over, you know what I mean? Nothing is left to chance. These designers and these stylists, they work very, very hard to make sure that every square inch tells the story that they want to tell. You know, the thing that really struck me about Balenciaga, you know, aside from the obvious creepy pedo bear nonsense that we're just seeing so much more of all the time now, so openly. I mean, just imagine 10, 15 years ago, if you could go back in time and say, you know, 
in 2022, we'll have like open grooming of children in schools and we'll have, you know, explicit drag shows being held for, you know, kindergartners with, you know, strippers and so on. You would just say, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. You know what I mean? But also, I think that you can't separate the witchcraft from here because that's really what we're seeing here with Balenciaga is witchcraft. I'm looking right now at some of these photos. And if you go back and look at them, they're laid out very much like how pagan and occult, say OTO, Golden Dawn, whomever, how they lay out their altars, where all these sacred items, these icons, these totems are arranged very specifically and very orderly and very neatly. And we're seeing the same thing here. If you just look at those Balenciaga photos, and then go look at, you know, altars, you know, particularly occultic altars, whether it's, again, like OTO or so on. It's rather unsettling how the arrangement of these objects matches up. But then there's also this weird kind of, you know, I pointed out the stellar symbolism because a lot of these scenes seem to have the teapot. Yeah, that was you a know, big for one. absolutely no reason. Well, the teapot is Sagittarius, which is galactic center, but it's also associated or originally identified with Nurgle, who is basically, you know, the equivalent of gods like Set or, you know, Baal Haddad. Yeah, you say the god of war, disease, and death, and it's like, ding, 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 let's honor him right now. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, exactly. That's exactly what's going on. I mean, listen, I don't know if I said so on your show. I Actually, I think I did, but, you know, five years ago, when we did the whole siren thing, I was like, well, you know, guess what? This is the apocalypse. And everybody thought I was crazy because, you know, they think of the apocalypse as being like this Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. But what it actually is, is everything being revealed, everything almost being forced to come to light. You know, everything's sort of forced into the light. And it's just people like us who have our ears a little low to the ground who are able to recognize all these symbolisms and these messages, you know, and what these messages convey and what they pretend we are a little bit just ahead of the curve of what's coming down the pipe. But I, you know, I think that even a lot of normies are just starting to realize that something is just dreadfully wrong. Something is just extremely strange going out there. But anyway, so in addition to the symbolism with Sagittarius and the teapot, we also see these dragons, but they're actually stars and planets in some of these I'm looking at this one here where they have the obvious Draco and Ursa symbolism, which is actually on the cover of Alice Bailey's first book, that very same alignment of Draco and Ursa Minor, which includes Polaris, the pole star. So, you know, I'm not making any unjustifiable leaps here by pointing out the astrological and planetary symbolism, because it's pretty explicit in these layouts. Mm -hmm. And also the dragons, we see these black dragons with the same imagery of the bears, but also the rabbit. So the rabbit is right next to Orion, right? So what we had here and what I was talking about as far as the overarching ritual symbolism is that concurrent with this whole Balenciaga controversy was what you mentioned before was this Artemis mission, you know, where they're allegedly sending this rocket past the moon and, and so on and so forth. 
But the interesting thing about it is that it's the Artemis mission, but it's the Orion capsule. So it's sort of that implied androgyny or hermaphrodism mm -hmm. within that. But the image that NASA showed was just so clearly, I mean, extremely phallic. <laughs> you know, because they have this incredibly phallic looking capsule and then the moon and the earth, which is just like, <laughs> two balls and a dick. Yeah, I mean, it's just so in your face. And of course, you know, you talked about the whole connection with group Artemis, who are the ultimate owners of Balenciaga. I think there's another company in the middle there. But Artemis is Kybele. Kybele is the goddess who commanded that army of transgender priests, right? Of, well, not celibate, but castrated, <laughs> castrated yeah, eunuchs, eunuchs right? Guess, yeah. yeah, castrated eunuchs. So we're seeing all the symbolism continue all together. And if you look at some of the kids in the Balenciaga photos, I'm not sure if they're born girls or they're just being feminized by their Munchausen by proxy mothers, which is certainly very possible and extremely common these days, right? So just, yeah, the layouts of these photos and actually, oh yeah, so one of them even has a candle. So it's like the candle and the teapot and the pedo bear and, and the bondage chains and so on. I, it's just really shameless. The interesting thing, though, is that there seems to be finally some pushback against this. It seems like Balenciaga is sort of taking it, or at least took it on the chin as far as boycotts and pushback. But, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. There's another photo with a campaign that was canceled, but it has a book on the table. You know, so we know about the pages that were included in this other yeah. photo shoot that were the... Um, what was it? Ashcroft. The documents yeah, the... from Ashcroft versus Free Speech Coalition. That's the landmark case that ruled virtual or simulated child porn is legal. They specifically put the documents from that court case. Who even has that? You had to like print that out and then put it on the desk in your fashion ad shoot. It's very strange. But yes, that was there. And then, yes, the book is another kind of adjacent thing. Well, there's a very strange connection here that I don't think a lot of people noticed. So we had that shooting at that club in Colorado Springs, right? Mm -hmm. And that kid, clearly deep in the spectrum kid who claimed to be, or his lawyers claimed that he was non-binary, but it turns out that he is actually a pedophile and was sort of hounded by those Encyclopedia Dramatica guys, I think that's sort of in that 4chan sort of orbit. But the same guy who committed this mass shooting in Colorado Springs is also a pedophile and cited that same Ashcroft versus Free Speech Coalition argument in this flame war that he was having when he was being attacked by people for downloading, you know, Japanese mm -hmm. cartoon kitty porn. He's saying, well, if it's a cartoon, you know, it's not... It's not real kitty porn. No one's being yeah, hurt. And exactly. that's the slippery slope. But uh, that book you mentioned, David Bailey's Invention of Cool, is the one that's in a stack of books in a photo that they didn't use. And this Reddit user used Nefariousness12 noted that if you Google the name David Bailey crime, you find what I think he is saying is a different guy. It's not that author, but he has the exact same name. 
And this guy was convicted of 19 counts of, you guessed it, child pornography. So it's like all the details, if they aren't part of the stellar ritual, a lot of these details are paying homage to pedophiles and child porn collectors, apparently. Well, here's the thing. We've developed this very sick, weird interpretation of Darwinism, right? And what the secret societies who are not coincidentally bankrolling Darwinism through the Royal Society were always working towards was, you know, godhood, basically, apotheosis, ascension to godhood. That, you know, Darwin comes along with this rather insane idea that something can become something else even though he had absolutely no concept of DNA, right? He right. didn't understand that whole concept, you know, the amino acids and so on. He just like, you know, so it's... I, it's like I, a hierarchy, a ladder you can climb through. That's the general philosophy of evolution is it is a transcendence. It is, you know... It's not science. And... It's religion. It's religion. Right. And, and it's provably not science because, you know, the math on it, doesn't add up when you start to factor in DNA and the whole idea of mutations. But he didn't know that because, you know, it's 150 years ago or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that information wasn't available to him. But it is, it's a religious doctrine. You look at this throughout a lot of secret society material, a lot of sort of occult material, a lot of new age material. You know, we see this term evolution used over and over again, except for the way they're describing evolution isn't like, this sort of slow process of adaptation to natural conditions, right? And survival of the fittest and so on. The way that they see evolution is apotheosis. We are going to become gods, right? Mm -hmm. And gods, of course, have absolute impunity. So a lot of these people have just been raised in these bubbles of just unparalleled wealth and privilege and never facing consequences for any of their actions ever that they naturally begin to see themselves as gods and the whole idea of godhood in the sort of crowley occult dimension of course is taboo violation isn't it i mean mm. crowley was quite explicit about the idea of taboo violation he was not apologetic about this at all and you know you can argue that this sort of ties back to tantraism and so on like that but he certainly put his own spin on it but he also added in this whole Darwinian evolution myth, you know, that one thing can become another thing. So ergo, I, <laughs> the weird sex pest whose parents were these weird contradiction of Plymouth Brethren fundamentalists who also ran a brewery, right? <laughs> he got rich running a brewery. And he is like, you know, so much the product of his culture. But I think that that he was just sort of a forerunner because that whole idea of self-righteousness and libertinism has sort of been the story of, you know, modern culture ever since, right? Particularly throughout the 20th century with the sexual revolution and so on. Mm -hmm. So the point I'm making here is that this is the final hurdle. You know, these people already have all the money and all the power and all the prestige. It's like, well, what do they not have? What are they not allowed to have? You know, well, they're not allowed to have like, sex with kids right so openly yeah openly or to celebrate this mm -hmm. to have it celebrated so that's why we see this very you know slow 
but deliberate process, well, actually accelerating process now. Right. I'd say too fast, but minor attracted person, the fact that that's even a term, crazy. Yeah, it's repulsive. But, you know, one of the things that I found really interesting, and I sort of discovered this by accident, is that, so we know George Soros is driving a lot of these NGOs and these nonprofits that are, you know, very much part of this whole process, you know, with the trans movement and the groomer movement and everything like that. Well, it turns out that he was best friends with Allen Ginsberg. Now, if you know who Allen Ginsberg is, all of a sudden everything starts to make a little more sense. Allen Ginsberg was one of the beat poets, became famous for a book he wrote called Howl, but it was also a card-carrying Nambla member and a very mm-hmm. um, outspoken and militant card-carrying Nambla member. And of course, this is yeah. George Soros's drinking buddy. So you really have to start to wonder. <laughs> None of this stuff feels organic or spontaneous in any way, shape, or form. And then the fact, like I said, that if you look at the Balenciaga, if you look beneath the surface, the obvious surface, the creepy surface with the bondage bears and everything like that, and start to see this very specific stellar symbolism that I've been looking at for quite some time, you know, particularly with the dragon and the, and the serpent and so on, it all starts to make a little more sense. But I'm just looking at this stuff and I'm just, oh, you know, um, <laughs> I keep waiting for when does this finally go too far? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because there are a lot of like people, by people I mean cucks, who like, well, you know, if you start to notice that Satan you know, the satanic temple is setting up kids clubs in elementary schools, you know, you're satanic panic, satanic panic. I can't tell you how many times people have accused me of being satanic panic, right? Mm -hmm. Or if you oppose these weird blue haired freaks, these mental patients, just basically doing nothing but brainwash kids with all this weird gender ideology, right? Then you're like a bigot or something. Exactly. That's kind of what woke does is it makes you tolerant or tells you you need to be tolerant of every single thing because that's just the way they want to live and they should be allowed to be them, whether they think they're a different gender, whether they're attracted to kids, that's their truth and you can't say anything about it because, as you say, that's bigotry and we need to be tolerant of everyone. But that agenda is definitely obviously something a lot of people see. But in terms of the stellar symbolism and the naming of the gods, as we've talked about in many different cultural events throughout all these interviews, we did one big show where you equated it all to a Mithraic cult. And then later it seems like we're folding a Mithraic cult under a larger watchers cult, a cult that just is in love with the fallen angels story of Enoch. And again, the fallen angels would be light bringers in a sense. So that's the misinterpretation of Luciferianism, but it's in the same ballpark. Well, these gods that are being invoked here are largely Greek. And then, of course, there's tons of Egyptian symbolism that gets thrown into these things. Help us make the case that this all folds under a watcher cult or if there is a hierarchy of cults. Ultimately, the the people at the top of the pyramid are most loyal to the Watchers or that that's their thing. Help us out there. Help us parse through some of that. Well, this is still a work in progress for me, so I can't make any conclusive 
statements as far as the watcher cults. I mean, this is something that really kind of gelled for me rather recently and had to do with, you know, my work on the stellar symbolism of 9-11 and so on. So I think with the watcher cults, I think the British royal family are sort of, and not only the British royal family, but all these royal families are very much part of this process. Okay. But the thing is, is that there's always been sectarianism. There's always been competing cults, even during the high middle ages, you know, when the church is almost unchallenged, you know, before the, well, after, I guess, the Orthodox and Catholic schism, but before the Reformation, there were all these monastic and nunnery orders and so on. I mean, there are all these groups that all had different interpretations and different agendas. So if you just look at the nature of power and human nature itself, it's very difficult for people to sort of surrender to one overarching umbrella when they have their own umbrella. But I'm positing about the Watcher Cult, and I think the genius behind it is that it's obviously a Masonic, it's a relatively recent creation and has to do with the rediscovery of the Book of Enoch, at least in the West, by James Bruce, okay? And that was in the late 1700s. And then the books were translated. There were a number of translations throughout the 19th century. But these translations were concurrent with the rise of all these occult orders, such as the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, right? So what we had, and, you know, the revival of the Rosicrucians and all these different Masonic orders and so on. So what I think the purpose of the Watcher cult, which seems to be very much a deliberate creation, and as I said, a a recent deliberate creation, is to sort of fold all these, you know, weird (laughs) neo-pagan kind of mystery cults and maybe even Satanism and, and just all these weird little groups that the elites all sort tend to congregate within, you know, that they all sort of separate themselves into these little sects and these little groups and so on. Mm -hmm. So I think what the watcher cults, and again, this is something that is fairly new, the purpose of it is to provide, you know, okay, well, you're into Mithras, right? Well, Mithras is a watcher, right? He, He came from the rock and the rock is Mount Hermon, if you really want to look at it that way. And you know, you can sort of fold everything in because the whole idea of the watchers is that they were the rebel angels who became to be seen as pagan gods. And that's, put simply, that's the story of the watchers, right? That we see in Genesis and in Enoch, first Enoch, but also in Book of the Giants and Book of the Jubilees and so on. Right. So they're angels, right? They're subservient to the Most High, right? But they are... Basically, for lack of a better term, the archons, they're our rulers. They're in charge of this realm. So when you talk about Greek and Egyptian, there's an argument to be made that all these, the formalized religions, right, all stem from Sumer and Babylon, right? So that the Egyptian religion is, they're always sort of like these animistic, pagan, nature-based cults, right? But the real organization where we started to have like organized temples and organized priestcraft these networks, so on, of these cults and so on, 
this really springs from Sumer, that this was a great innovation of Sumer, right? And that you can look at the Sumerian pantheon and start to see the equivalence in Greek, Egyptian, Syrian, right? Mesopotamian. Some people would even argue some of the early Hindu pantheons and so on. So this all sort of just spreads out, but it's the idea that it's not just like witch doctors and medicine men sort of leading the tribe you know, with these nature gods and so on. It's a much more developed and organized hierarchical network. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that this ultimately stems from Sumer. So scholars believe that the watchers were a way for apocalyptic Jewish cults, you know, in the late first millennium BC, right? Many of whom were still, if they were not under the auspices of whoever was running Babylon at the time, certainly had a memory of like the Assyrian era when, you know, the Assyrian Babylonian empire, which was, you know, just incredibly brutal, but also very technically advanced. So that's why this whole idea of the watchers and technology, right? But the technology in the Book of Enoch just leads to war. Okay. So basically, I think what the watcher cult does, and again, I'm, this is very early in the process for me, is that it provides a way to take all these different belief systems and cults and, and mystery cults and so on and fold it under one sort of exegesis, right? You see what I'm saying? But it mm -hmm, also, mm -hmm. but it can also fold in Jewish, Christian, Muslim traditions. You know what I'm saying? Particularly the more esoteric variants thereof. Because what it's saying is that, like, listen, you had the story backwards. You know, the history is written by the winners, right? And the winners were whoever was worshiping the archangels, Michael, Uriel, Gabriel, so on and so forth. They won out somehow. And they condemned, you know, the good guys to, you know, perdition or to the depths of the ocean or whatever, maybe even to outer space, right? The waters above the firmament, right? But they were the good guys. They came here to help us. You know, they love humanity. They gave us all these tools. And this whole story that you read in Enoch and so on is all just propaganda from the triumphant archangel cults, right? So that very much fits into our sort of modern thinking right which is very contrarian and, and individualistic we're always trying to like go against tradition or receive tradition which we automatically see as corrupt right so it's just like oh well yeah maybe it makes sense you know maybe like you know we don't need to change the catholic church and so on we just need to sort of shift it so history is set right you know that the good guys were the, the ones who were imprisoned right the ones who were imprisoned in Tartarus, right, with Semyaza and Azazel and all these people. They were the good guys. The bad guys were Michael and, and all these, you know, Gabriel, again, so on and so forth. So there's actually like a real genius to it. But it's really, I really, I mean, I discussed this on your show, but basically on the Siren show, when I first really saw what was going on with the Millennium Dome show. And the Millennium Dome show was like, that was the British government's that was their big production. That was their big announcement for the 21st century, wasn't it? I mean, because all these mm -hmm. governments and so on were all putting on these big shows for the turn of the millennium. And that was the big show was like 
the demons of the air find the daughters of men to be attractive and create this new super <laughs> hybrid race. And, and that's what, yeah. I mean, that, that's the story of the Millennium Dome show. And it's just like, nobody's heard of this. I keep telling people about this because it's like, this was the prototype for all these mega rituals that we've been seeing since with the Super Bowls and so on. Mm-hmm. And the award show. Yeah, the award shows, Gothic Tunnel is a perfect example. But it's all variations on the same story, that the good guys were imprisoned and they need to be released and will all live in paradise, you know, with this new race of watcher-human hybrids, right? Alien-human hybrids in modern parlance, right? Yes, and you can fold a lot of the alien stuff in, too, because it's all about genetics. It's about here's this other type of non-human creature wanting to make hybrids with humans. I mean, that is the crux of, I guess, the oldest story in the game. But no, I also but, but, to God, Let in... me just interject here for, because okay. you, know, you talked about the aliens and the book where the whole alien-human hybrid stuff really came into the culture, you know, and then people like David Jacobs sort of took off with it. There's a book by Raymond Fowler about a woman who claimed to be an abductee called Betty Adreason. And the book was called The Watchers. Hmm. Okay. Literally called The Watchers. Just If you don't believe me, just go on to Amazon and there it is. Because that's where all this human-alien hybrid stuff comes from. With these books written by Raymond Fowler with Betty Andreessen, right? And then there was even this thing with William Barr's father. You know, he was a big mm. figure in the last couple of years. He, his father wrote a science fiction book about sexual slavery and space, space relations, a gothic interplanetary tale. So it's just like, again, it's the things that are going on in these people's heads that are running the show. It relates to the same motif. Um, but just while we still are in the first hour, I wanted to fold in the World Cup because you point out a ton of reasons why this is the same old thing. The mascot for the World Cup was this white sheet ghost figure named Laib or Bial reversed, B-E-E-A-L. It's very close to Bale, Ball. And obviously you say, aside from the obvious Ouroboros and Masonic symbolism of the World Cup logo, there was another curious bit of hyper-potent ritualism that lands us straight in the world of Watcher Adoration. And that's this video where the mascot ghost thing takes Moroccan musician Red One through a portal to a digital metaverse land called Mascotverse. And then for people who haven't seen this, they go through the portal and Red One asks, what is this place? And the mascot says, a parallel universe that has been around since the beginning of time that relies on the thoughts and ideas of humans. And Red One says, so we live in parallel universes and work together? And the mascot says, yes, we work very hard to inspire humans to be better. And then it gets really weird. He says, we inspire your marketing executives to help us come down to Earth. And Red One says, well, if this parallel universe has always been around, why are you only showing yourself now? And this mascot says, we've been trying to reach out to you forever. Aliens, Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, you just keep misinterpreting our visits. See, us mascots have always been here watching over you. And there's much more, but that is the gist. And I don't know what any of that has to do with the World Cup, a freaking soccer tournament. It has nothing to do with it at all. But it's injected there anyway, because that's where the eyes are, right? I mean, the eyes are there 
So we have to make sure that when the attention of the people is on something, it gives veneration to our gods or our heritage. I mean, who knows? Are these people, why is this their obsession? Is it because they're the offspring, the lineage of the Nephilim? Or what is their relationship to the fallen angels, you think? Well, I think there's a number of different interpretations to make here. But it almost reminds me of the whole process with Constantine, right? With these families that understood that the Roman Empire, as, as it was constituted, was unsustainable. That there were a number of, first of all, most of the people living inside the Roman Empire were slaves, right? And second of all, they were all different races and different nationalities and different tribes and so on. So a lot of the impetus to create a Catholic, a universal church came from that, this need to create some sort of unifying principle that would unite all these disparate peoples, you know what I'm saying? And help to, I don't know necessarily pacify, but help to just create a framework that it, people can all sort of relate to one another. Because what you had in the pagan world was just absolute chaos, absolute chaos. I mean, still today, I mean, the Roman world, the paganism was so syncretic that I don't think anybody could even keep track of anything anymore. I mean, you had these gods that were all interchangeable, but, you know, the names and their roles, bedlam, you know what I'm saying? So I, I think that there was the whole idea that we need to start fresh, we need to sort of start from square one was not a bad idea. You know, you can argue with however it was carried out, but it was like, we need to just give people some sort of focus. And back then, culture was necessarily religious. You know, it's embedded in the world culture, right? So I would argue that what we're seeing now is a new version of that. Mm -hmm. So we have this push for this global empire, right? We have this push, obviously, you know, even if the globalist strategy itself has kind of hit the rocks on many ways, but there's still this push to create this one world culture, one world government. But really the best way to do so, the easiest way, the most efficient way would be create a one world religion. You understand what I'm saying? Oh. But it's got to be something, you know, it can't be something like we see like in, I don't know, an old Left Behind movie where it's like, oh, you know, worship the devil. And people are not going to worship the devil, right? They're just not going to do it. Only sickos and perverts are going to worship the devil. It's just the way it is. People what about just scientism? What about saying all that religious stuff was silliness for kids and we've graduated to a more mature academic worldview and science is our God? That's over. That died with you think th so? that died with Epstein. Yeah, because he was the big funder of that. And that has to do with, I don't know if we discussed that, but it has to do with this guy named John Brockman, who is just basically had this whole idea of the third culture where scientists would take the place of poets and philosophers and so on. And he was a big influence on Epstein. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about Barr's father. So, you know, Barr's father's the guy who hired Epstein in the first place, right? So it's all this, you know, it's all interlocking, right? But I think that the scientific, it's just over. You know, atheism, the atheist movement. I mean, look at all the 
bright lights of it. Christopher Hitchens is dead, and he was the only real, true intellectual among them. Sam Harris just totally clowned himself on Twitter, and he's just basically ran with his tail between his legs. Dawkins just went a little too hard in the paint with the whole pedo business, and he just basically disqualified himself. I mean, everybody realizes that Daniel Dennett is a sociopath. So those are the four or five horsemen, right? I mean, what's left? The movement is dead. Woke absolutely eviscerated the skeptic movement, the atheist movement. I mean, this is not supposition. It's all pretty well documented. You know, Atheism Plus, which was just basically woke atheism, basically tore a hole in that whole movement. It's just over. It's just over. So is the next evolution the Space Brothers? Well, Space Brothers are the Watchers. Right, right. (laughs) They're all just repackagings of the Watchers. And it's if you look underneath the skirt, that becomes obvious very quickly that this is just uh, repackagings of the Watchers. It's hard to say because, again, there's all this sectarianism and there's all these power blocks constantly vying for control. For instance, we had this huge push starting, again, back to 2017, October 2017, that the real kickoff of the apocalypse, right, where DeLong and all his CIA handlers put through the whole ATIP disclosure thing and the TikTok video and all this kind of stuff. I mean, the... Pentagon just basically sort of put the last nail on that thing's coffin. I mean, that thing's been falling apart ever since it was put together, right? You know, DeLong basically just totally made a fool of himself on Joe Rogan, and then they tried to push Elizondo, and Elizondo's just got like all these issues with his backstory (laughs) and his credibility. Yeah, it's just totally falling apart now. So I'm not exactly sure how they're going to put that back together, but it might be a completely different group that does so, right? You know, this is the problem is that when you're constantly in this lie mode and in your lies, the ends justify the means. It's like, yeah, I'm going to tell these white lies, but it's all on the surface of the greater good. You just start losing track of the lies. And I think the Twitter thing might have something to do with this because it turns out that Podesta's niece was one of these people that was acting as a censor on Twitter and, and all these connections with all these these other creepy crawlies. I think that the whole UFO quote unquote Project Bluebeam thing has probably been put on the back burner for now. But who knows? Who knows? You know, we don't really have access, but it seems to be that that whole to the stars academy and all the rest of it, like just basically you know, it crashed on takeoff. And you got to feel sorry for poor Peter Lavenda, who basically sacrificed all his credibility on the altar of Tom DeLonge and Mm. paid mightily for it. So I don't know. I I think what I see happening, and this is, again, this is speculation, I could see that this whole watcher cult mythos, instead of creating, oh, you're going to worship the watchers. I think that it would sort of insert itself into the churches. It could easily insert itself, for instance, through all the Protestant churches, which is total clown shows now. And they seem to be making, or they have been making good headway in the Vatican for a number of years. I think it would be much more likely to see the watcher cult 
embed itself in the established religions because you have a ready-made infrastructure you have temples you have clergy you have foundations you have an entire infrastructure that you don't have to build from scratch right and it sort of makes sense with how i see this watcher cult operating was like listen you know enoch isn't even canonical so why are you going by enoch right Oh, you know, there's that line in Genesis, but that was somebody else. <laughs> that was in the Watchers. Does it say the Watchers? No, it doesn't say the Watchers. It's somebody else, right? That was some other angels. They were just, they didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> you know I mean? <laughs> so, you know, why would you believe Enoch? Nobody's ever believed Enoch. It's not in the Torah. It's not in the Bible. I mean, come on. Just, you know, it's a case of mistaken identity. Just relax. So that's how I could see this playing out. And again, I'm still very early in this process. But there are still all these other things. You know, we've talked about the whole Mithraic thing, which is just kind of overwhelming when you open your eyes to it. You know, for instance, that statue of Mithras Venus at the gate. Well, it's not even just Mithras Venus, it's trans Mithras Venus at the gate of St. Louis University, which is run by the Jesuits, right? I mean, mm -hmm. if you go look at that thing, it's like, that would be most people's idea of what a demon looks like, right? <laughs> like something straight from the pits of hell, like Jezebel or something, right? And there it is, smack dab on the front gate of St. Louis University. So um, mm -hmm. it's all hiding in plain sight, you know? And I think people right. are so distracted by like Illuminati and Luciferianism and all these sort of mythical constructions that they blind themselves to seeing what's directly in front of their eyes. Well, we could also kind of equate this to the Lucifer's technology thing where mm. the reason they pay this homage is because they are given gifts, which are usually technological. And when you started that series and I just loved it, I didn't even know about the book, The Invisible Rainbow by Arthur Furstenberg, which everybody talks about now because he goes really, really deep and dense into the changes in our electrical environment through technology and how electricity was used in the early day and how radar made everybody sick when it went around. And it's like, as a culture, we don't talk about the sickness that a lot of that stuff brings, but it is there. And it's like his main premise is that every time there's a level jump in the electrification of the earth, it makes us sicker, but makes our lives last longer. And it is just like, of course, that is how a demon's gift would work mm. to humanity. Uh, it just seems to be a real match for me. And, and I thought about Lucifer's technologies the whole time I was reading his book. And I think it fits. But it's like, that's why they give the veneration, perhaps, is because they want the gifts. Or when they get the gifts, it requires constant veneration. And I think now they're in like this position where they don't have the gifts or the technology to do the checkmate part of this whole plan. So there may be scrambling to be like, hey, you know, give us a little more. We're doing the things. We're paying homage to you the way you want. We got the Artemis launch. We got everything going on. Give us that last gift so that we can complete our mission here, the World Economic Forum Sustainable Development Goals thing. What do you think about that? Oh, I think that's absolutely right. And talk about like the hollow earth and Vril and so on. One of the things that people don't realize is that Vril is electricity. Mm -hmm. You know, the power of Vril is electrical. And if you read the book Vril, which is not a very easy read, but, you know, we talked about this at the Secret Sun Institute on a live stream. 
it is electricity. And don't forget that electricity was a pretty big deal, you know, back in the mid to late 1900s. It was a total game changer. I think that we've seen, you know, I've talked a lot about peak tech, and I think people are starting to catch on to peak tech now. I think we were so conditioned again by this FD network, but also Hollywood and science media and so on. I mean, the science media was all basically can be traced back to FD in some way. But this whole idea that, you know, all this crazy stuff is going to happen, all these like stupid CGI robot videos from Boston Dynamics and so on. And then recently there's another silly CGI video of these little incubators, right? You don't give the slaves, you know, the tools to overthrow you. You know what I'm saying? Right. If you make the slaves too powerful, I mean, even like, you know, the slaves, they're the bosses of the slaves. You know, there's this sort of like the overseers, but they're still slaves, right? They have the whip hand, but they're still the slaves. You don't give the slaves, you only give them enough power to do your bidding, to do what you want done, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You don't give the slaves enough power to overthrow you, right? Or to set themselves up as gods. And that's why I think what the ritualism that is just becoming so obvious that I think even like the most oblivious normies are starting to like wake up a little bit, right? Because it's become so in your face, so obvious, so ubiquitous. But I think that's almost to me like that's a sign of desperation. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And if you look at any culture, you know, when you talk about like Baal, right? Well, what is Baal well known for? Baal was well known for his identity is Moloch, right? And what was Moloch well known for? Well, Moloch was well known for that people would sacrifice their children to them in these ovens. They would bring their kids to these ovens and burn them alive. Well, when did this happen? You know, is this just like they did it for kicks? No, they did it when like there was a famine or a war, you know, in some sort of existential crisis faced the community, they would sacrifice their children to Baal. And I think that that is driving a lot of this predation that we're seeing on children today with the groomers and the sexual mutilations and so on. You always go after, you know, the, you perceive, you at least perceive that your masters, whether it be gods or angels or aliens or demons, you know, they want your children, right? There was that whole Torchwood. I don't know if you saw the Torchwood miniseries, Children of Earth, but it was mm -hmm. that exact idea, right? We've reached the end of the technological bullet train. It's the last stop in the station. There will probably be like some sort of things trickling in, like, we're, you know, you mentioned the AI art and the chat AIs and so on. But I mean, these things are not actually true AIs. They're just these dumb algorithms that just yeah. give you what you ask for, right? They have a lot of data and they're just putting puzzle pieces together from this massive amount of the data. It's like a big calculator for words or for art. Exactly. But they can't create you know, anything ex nihilo. They can't create something from nothing. You know, this is something that I've been saying in, when I first really noticed these just punch you in the face rituals, which really started for me in 2016 with Gothic Tunnel. And I remember just watching Gothic Tunnel and just thinking, all right, wait, something has shifted. Something has changed. This is just way too explicit. This is way too unambiguous, just way too in your face. But I, you know, I broke that down. You know, people go, well, that's Satan and everything like that. It's, it's actually Jupiter Amon and those other creatures and everything. Those are the watchers. It's all about freeing the watchers from Tartarus. And if you go back and watch that and think, all right, is this actually about freeing the watchers from Tartarus? It takes you about five minutes to realize that that's exactly what's going on.
but I think there's a level of desperation and I think it has to do with peak tech, but I also think it has to do with just like the end of these science fiction dreams. I mean, there are a lot of these kind of science fiction fantasies that have been injected into the culture for a hundred years now, over a hundred years, if you go back to people like Vernon and so on. And that was part and parcel of this whole idea of Darwinian apotheosis, right? That we are destined to become gods ourselves, gods upon the earth, right? Man will become God. I think they're starting to realize that that's never going to happen. You know, immortality is never going to happen. You know, transhumanism is just absolute, you know, nerd nonsense. You're not going to ever update your consciousness into some mainframe in the middle of the Utah desert and so on. It's just these things are not going to happen. We've reached the limit. And, you know, it was inevitable. And looking at it today, you can't help but see, like, why did people think this was just going to go on and on and on and on forever? How did they deceive themselves into thinking that? And again, I think that that is why these rituals have gotten so extreme. Like, so I have OCD, right? Mm -hmm. I, I've always been, you know, pretty upfront about that. OCD is really triggered by, you know, certain anxieties and so on. And then you start to partake in what could, in some cases, be seen as ritualistic behavior, right? The classic thing with the hand washing and stuff. Actually, I stopped doing the hand washing thing because my my hands are so chapped. Wow. I'm just like so raw, you know what oh. I mean? It's like, I got to stop doing that. Um, <laughs> but I see that ritualism you know, it is like an OCD process. I think that ritualism is ultimately based on anxiety. You know, when I talk about the whole idea with Moloch and the Tophets, you know, the other thing that I found rather curious when we talked about the whole Artemis thing and the Artemis connection to castration and so on, sexual mutilation, was that the logo, at least the original logo for the Artemis mission, didn't really look so much like Artemis, but looked like Tanit. Now, who's Tanit? Well, Tanit is Baal's consort. And she also would be satiated with these tophets, with, you know, burning your children alive in these ritual ovens and so on. Right, right. And you say that because, as an audio-only show, I like to make these points. When you look at the Artemis logo, it has these kind of uh, ram's horn-shaped kind of things on the sides of the head, almost like uh, Princess Leia's buns. Yes, and that's why you say, well, Artemis didn't really get represented like that, but Tanit did. And so then you show side by side the Artemis logo with a famous bust of Tanit. And you're like, no, this is the match because they're always lying about the names and the labels. It's always something a little darker that they don't want you to make the connection to. And that is why you say that. If anyone looked at those two pictures on the blog side by side, it's pretty clear. Again, all roads lead to ball, bail, whatever you want to say. Well, getting back to the World Cup, I mean, this is something that, you know, you talk about Artemis being the goddess of sudden death, right? Do you remember that there was a soccer journalist, like sports journalist, who showed up in Qatar with the rainbow shirt on, and he was stopped at the gate, and, you know, they kicked him out and told him to get lost and everything like that. He died suddenly. <laughs> you know, it's, I shouldn't laugh. It's a terrible thing, but it's just like, you know, not only the whole idea of the, he was one of these guys who was always going on Twitter and berating people for not getting vaccinated and then dies suddenly of coronary complications. 
but also he's so he was so visible as the symbol and to me again it's Knowles's law i don't know if they knew he was going to die they expect him to die i mean maybe that was just sheer coincidence it gets to the point with a lot of this ritualism see you don't know if this is like what people are doing or just as like sheer chance or synchronicity or is the doing of these weird entities it, it just becomes impossible to pick out and i think that's part of the impetus behind this by having these constant rituals where you're trying to practice sympathetic magic and manipulate synchronicity right you're trying to create almost like alice in wonderland world where the world just stops making sense in a logical way and you can never really tell you know where things are coming from why things are acting the way they do you know on my deep dive group we call this the shimmer which you know comes from the annihilation film but um mm -hmm. i think that that's kind of being able to master that and to summon that shimmer again this term from annihilation i think is one of the purposes behind a lot of this ritualism and again it's all the old certainties have just washed away and we're all in this like weird fugue state and these people are trying to manipulate them, but it just seems increasingly desperate to me because it's not hard. Like I've been doing this for a long time. So maybe I'm just a little bit ahead of the curve on picking out some of the more subtle uses of the symbolism, but it's really not hard to figure this stuff out. You know, now that we've got Google and so on or mm -hmm. whatever search, I mean, I don't use Google as a search engine because it's become totally useless, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And I like that you say it's like rooted in anxiety because it that seems to be true to me. It's almost as if these elite have gotten in bed with really dark entities and now they're engaged in this like trust fall with the fallen angels or the watchers and they're just like, all right, are you going to be there to catch me? Like, I've done everything that you want me to do. Uh, are you going to be there? And it's like, no, probably not in the end. But when will that trust fall actually happen? When will they you know, face plant onto the ground. It's un, it's unclear, I guess, because these things have really long arcs. But you are one of the greats. I'm lucky to know you. Obviously, the blog is ground zero for all things you, secretsun.blogspot.com. And the Patreon is always so full of great stuff. I can barely even keep up. The Donnie Darko thing is the next watch I'm going to have when I have a few hours set aside. That was a lot of fun. That was a good one. What else would you add uh, that you're going to be doing? With Gordon, you talked about a new book on the pulps. You've been talking about the new Synchromystic Handbook. What are you going to be doing? Well, first of all, I want to I want to get a hardcover edition of He Will Live Up in the Sky out because I've been working on the sequel, which is coming very, very slow. It's coming even slower than the first one. But also the Synchromystic Handbook, which is probably going to be out in the springtime. The book on the pulps, it's kind of like just any kind of pop culture stuff. I just have to kind of push back because there is other stuff that I need to get to first. But there's a lot of material coming up on the Secret Sun. You know, we do these three, four hour live streams that are just a lot of fun, but very informative. You know, I give my presentations. The patrons are always giving me incredible information to supplement that. We're going to be doing Hollow Earth. We're going to be doing Space Brothers. You know, we're going to get back into the Vril. We're going to be getting the Vril connection to rock and roll. 
basically I had this whole huge plate with all this Vril watcher stuff. And I'm not exactly sure why I got thrown off that track, but I'm getting back on that track because, you know, most of the material is ready to roll. So it's going to be very, very hop in January. We're going to do the Space Brothers. Well, on New Year's Eve, we're going to do a uh, big Space Brothers soiree. But yeah, there's just a lot of material coming up. I've just got so much to go through. There's so much going on in the world. And, you know, I just feel like, you know, I was born for these times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember that from last time. And when you say the pulps, you mean like weird tales and the shape yes. mystery yes. and Lovecraft. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I love it. I would I would really enjoy seeing you tackle that the way you did superheroes because it's very adjacent, but no one's talking about the old pulps. No, and basically everything that's interesting about the superheroes and the comic books was ripped off from the pulps. But also there's a lot of kind of Hollow Earth connections with Lovecraft as well that I want to dig into. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely going to be uh, playing a major part. I don't know if there's enough material for a Lovecraft Hollow Earth separate presentation, but he's definitely going to be playing a major part in it because, you know, stories like the festival and so on. Mountain of Madness. Mountain of Madness, yeah. Apparently, um, even Edgar Allan Poe had a few references. Yeah, well, again, this is circulating, and it's my opinion, but it's something that is not without basis, that I think all this ultimately ties back to the Watchers. And it ties back to the Watchers when you look at the timeline. It's just curious that if this was intentionally seeded by members of the aristocrat class or adjacent authors... Why didn't it take? Because they're very good at like forcing something to take and get picked up. It just seemed to fizzle out and you would have expected. What didn't take? The Hollow Earth in general. Hollow Earth was pretty big for a long time. Well, fair. I guess I just like it so much. I wish there was more. I wish it was being brought out again. Well, I just think it had its time. You know what I mean? I think things go through their cycles. But, you know, one thing that I've talked about a lot and I got boy, did I get a lot of heat from Lovecraft fans when I talked about how basically his entire Cthulhu mythos is rewriting Alice Bailey craziness, which is all explicitly based on the Watchers, by the way. I mean, if you go back and read Alice Bailey books, particularly her early books, I mean, she just talks about the Watchers and the angels who watch and the one who watches. I mean, she just uses that terminology over and over again. And I believe... And this would probably make a good, like, long-form video talking about how Lovecraft is just basically incorporating all this Watcher stuff via Alice Bailey and was introduced to him by E. Hoffman Price, who was, and you'd have to be, like, a bar of soap not to see that this guy was up and down military intelligence i mean he was in the american expeditionary force he worked for you in carbide I and mean, his whole entire resume screams intelligence at you i mean you know pre-cia intelligence but still army intelligence and he was i think he was basically lovecraft's handler you know i've talked about that's a whole other discussion but <laughs> the point of this all is is that there's a lot of hollow earth adjacent material in lovecraft's stories so that will be coming out Fair. And Alice Bailey, just to put a fine point on it, she actually said the fallen angels were the good guys because they didn't disobey God. They actually carried out a mission from God and it yes. was a mission to kind of be the bad guys and do the thing. They sacrificed themselves and their own goodwill to bring 
cosmic consciousness to man. And that is an exact match for the hidden hand material, if you've ever read that. But this idea that the elite aren't the bad guys, they're playing the role of bad guys. And it's really a sacrifice and it sucks. They don't want to do it. They'd rather be up in heaven with, with God and every other angel. But they're down here playing a role to apply pressure to you stupid people so that that pressure gets you to grow, gets you to overcome. And uh, it's interesting. Well, if you ask me, like, so this is something I talked about with Gordon, right? You know, it's like, if you go, well, all right, you posit this watcher cult, right? You know, where are they? Who are they? What is their literature? And I would say the most, again, using that term forward-facing, the most forward-facing aspect of the watcher cult is Lucis Trust. Lucis Trust, which has money up the wazoo and, you know, hardly any actual followers, right? But somehow Bill and Melinda Gates are pumping millions of dollars into this organization and they have offices in Mayfair and Wall Street. For some reason, this weird cult that seems to be made up exclusively of uh, eccentric old ladies has incredible power and influence in certain circles. And I would argue that it's because they are setting up, you know, at least an aspect of the watcher cult. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe me, go read her books. It's all right there. She doesn't hide it. She's very, very upfront about, you know, the adoration of the watchers. And like you mentioned that they're the good guys and they made this huge sacrifice to bring, you know, cosmic consciousness to earth and so on. So, yeah. See, that's the thing. Satanism is for like creepy sex pests, you know, right? It's just for weirdos and perverts, right? Everybody knows that, right? It's just stupid and cringy, right? It's very easy to just push back. Particularly when you see guys like, you know, Lucian Greaves, who looks like a comic book supervillain. This Watcher thing is going to be much, much harder to counteract because that argument that Bailey or her handlers, her British intelligence handlers, made so cogently. That's going to be a very hard, you know, it reminds me, it reminds me of like the arguments that were made in Da Vinci Code, you know, that Jesus actually escaped the cross and had a family and all this kind of stuff. And you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it's like, it's embedded within the context of the established religion, but it also completely subverts it. You see what I mean? And that to me is much harder to counteract than like just a bunch of like dumpy perverts running around in black robes and stuff. Yeah, well, uh, it's going to be an interesting couple of years for sure, and we'll see how that rolls out. But, man, we could do it all day. This has been really great. I hope people do keep up with you on the blog and join that Patreon because there's so much good stuff there. But it was a pleasure, and I guess we will talk again maybe when the uh, next thing comes out for you. But until then, take care. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. Sweet black robe, dumpy perverts, Batman, kicking the new year off right with one of the greats. And it really is my favorite subject matter, the overlap of the occult and conspiracy. Synchromysticism is more pattern recognition, but so often the pattern is there because an event is ritualized. So it's all in the mix, but that's my favorite space, and there are just not that many people who do it well. If you know some, 
that haven't been on THC, send them my way because I find it to be the most exciting stuff. And I just sort of wait until Chris has enough material to justify it, but as deep as he went on Balenciaga and the World Cup, to me seemed like good material to get on the THC record. Of course, I didn't really complete my goal of not working between Christmas and New Year's because I had shows to get out, but it is what it is. I don't think we really missed much by recording this when we did. I suppose we missed the total meltdown of Southwest Airlines, but that was predictable. People have been saying that was a disaster waiting to happen since they fired all the staff who wouldn't get the shot. And then with those who did get the shot, there's enough injuries that now they really don't have enough pilots. And there's also some news going around that it wasn't a software failure, that they actually were hit by a hacker attack and that took them down when they were on the ropes already. And it's curious because it wasn't just any airline. It's the one known for being the cheapest. So that to me is a red flag. Seems like a little corporate espionage. And now Southwest might not even be a company in a couple of months from now. And we all know the reality is that they don't want us traveling, so this sort of stuff happens. I don't know if any of you out there have tried to get a flight recently, or if you noticed even with some of your deliveries over the holidays, they are measuring CO2 usage and displaying that when you make your purchase. And that's right in line with us having some sort of allotment for credits. That infrastructure is being put in place right now, and you can see it being just a few more steps until we're there, sadly. But if you listen to Martin Armstrong in his interviews, he's saying that Socrates, his very accurate predictive AI software that he's had for years and actually went to jail because he wouldn't turn it over to the FBI or the CIA. I forget who was trying to strong arm him, but because of Socrates, he's been saying that January looks like a big turning point. He can't exactly pin down what that is, but he says something significant. His suggestion was the U.S. giving Ukraine Patriot missiles because they would say they were for defense, but then they would, of course, use those missiles offensively, and then we'd be in hot water here at home. That was just one possibility, but something of that magnitude, something of that nature. So keep your eyes open. And of course, in this interview, I didn't mean to keep saying World War III is coming because I do agree with Chris that it is here. But I just mean, you know, the main event. We're still in the opening credits. Ushers are still pointing people towards their seats. But I absolutely think that when we're on the other side of World War III, the history books will show that it has already kicked off. The other thing I saw, maybe related to Armstrong's January turning point, maybe not, was that apparently Biden signed some sort of provision that granted protection for whistleblowers specifically on the UFO UAP issue. Maybe that recent mass sighting over the Sapphire Strip Club in Vegas is part of it. Who knows? So we might get some movement there of some kind, although I do not trust the aliens from outer space narrative anymore. In fact, I like the Terrence McKenna quote where he says we're interacting with a phenomena that disguises itself as an alien invasion as to not alarm us. Such a great line. Although I don't know how much of that alien invasion wrapper is from the phenomena itself and how much of it is lacquered on from military intelligence. But if they want you to think it's this, then it's probably that, right? <laughs> 
Either way, I appreciate Chris helping me kick off the new year right with a good one. I wish I had a guest doing this type of work every month, but it's just kind of rare, like I said. Funny that he railed against Darwinism because clearly it's simpatico with the John Hamer Shannon Rowan episode just before it, which makes for a nice little happy accident of THC continuity. <laughs> clearly, a lot of bad ideas have been injected into our heads over the years. It's just hard to know where to draw the line, hard to know exactly where the truth lies. As the new old intro says, we know they're lying to us, we just don't know to what degree. And I'm dusting that old intro off because we've heard plenty of the old, old OG intro. We know why the show is called The Higher Side Chats, and we know I like weed. Let's speed things up a bit. The band theme, I guess is what I should call it, is shorter. And I'm collecting covers for anyone out there who wants to make one and get it in the rotation. It just needs to be a top quality production that's very listenable and the lyrics are the same. I think I have six now, so it's going to get fun. I also had a really nice After Effects template made up for the video platforms and I'll probably get Twitter blue and use it on Twitter. I don't care about the goddamn blue check mark, but if I'm going to be able to post full shows there, then it seems like it's better than YouTube. It would be adventurous, but I might even try Twitch. I haven't decided if that's too much trouble or not, but this template has moving tentacles and a waveform and images of me and the guest. It's a lot nicer than a typical audiogram, if you ask me. And I'm launching it with this episode, and I'm also going to use it for clips, too. It's all really because I did that episode of Rune Soup where we went over our top 10 conspiracy books and so many people commented or wrote me and said, I never knew what you looked like or I wish you would do video because it's a lot more entertaining or interesting. And because of the way I edit THC, that's never going to happen. But I made this to get us a little bit closer to video rather than the static screen I've used for... 12 years now. I also just kind of got to thinking how word of mouth has always been the best marketing for me. So why spend money of any kind on ads? Just put the show more places and jazz up the presentation and let the show sell itself. Because it does. It can. The only issue is getting people used to or liking a presentation of the first hour that doesn't convert if they become a Plus member. If a person listens in podcast apps or on the website in their mobile browser, then switching to Plus is no sweat because you can just plug Plus into almost any app. But if someone is stuck on listening through Spotify or YouTube or BitChute or hypothetically Twitch, if they find THC that way, then they have to change how they listen and people don't like to do that usually. But this is all just shop talk and the kind of things I'm thinking about going into a new year. And I guess I'm telling you because I don't really have a team for this kind of strategy session. But anyway, Chris did spend some extra time with me. I think we got an extra 15 minutes in there, but who doesn't like a long one to kick off the new year? In the second hour for Plus People, we talked about the Zelensky goes to Washington solstice ritual. A little bit more about Woke, the suicide cult masked as a murder cult. I like that because it is all about character assassination and career destruction. 
you know, it is a form of murder, so to speak, but then really it eats itself and it is kind of a suicide cult. I just thought that was a good phraseology. We also talked about Ron DeSantis in the national security state. I looked more into this just to get the facts right because we were kind of going off the top of our heads. He is a Harvard, Yale law guy, just like all the rest of them. And he did provide the legal cover and legal loopholes for torture at Guantanamo Bay. So, yeah, I love Ron DeSantis on the COVID issue, but let's not get carried away with the guy. We also talked about Enoch, the Watchers, and the Hollow Earth, the curious nature of Hollow Earth literature. I brought up this Captain Antarctica guy and some other Antarctic strangeness. We talked about Vril and the Council of Nine, as well as MKUltra 3.0. Lots of Hollow Earth stuff, and I love that Chris is diving deep into that material on his Patreon. Again, right up my alley. If you like what I do, get Plus and stop missing half the show. It's very easy to make the switch. Plus is compatible with most podcasting apps. We have at least two or three good options, no matter what type of phone you have. And if you've never listened to an episode on the HigherSideChats.com, I'm telling you, I pimped it out to be as functional as any app. Big forward and back buttons. You can change the speed. Anything you can do with audio in one of those apps, you can do on our website. Old shows are broken up into categories like a Netflix or a Hulu display. And that's good for free or plus shows. It doesn't matter. If you are on the plus side, then you have a pretty active comment section where a lot of people do get to talk about what they liked and disliked, add more context, and just it becomes more of a community thing. You get a little more life out of each episode. But you know, when it comes to the on-air content, I try to keep things pretty lean. I don't waste your time with ads. I don't ask you to buy various unrelated products to support me. I only ask that you dive into more of the content you're already here for. I think it's the best deal in podcasting, and I'm proud that I've kept things the way they are, and I've never expanded to some big team of 10 or 15 like some of those shows out there have done. And thanks for sticking with me. Another big investment I did make for any of the audio nerds out there is I spent four figures on the latest Isotope 10 Advanced package during the holiday sale. I still need to master using it. In fact, if anyone out there is proficient with it and wants to hop on a Zoom call with me and help me dial it in correctly, that'd be great. But either way, I think our guests are going to have better audio this year. I already try to keep it towards the top, but this new set of tools I have includes features like Dialog, Isolate, and there are some other plugins that will be great for our situation. Some are hit or miss, and I can't get them to work exactly as advertised, but it's all about knowing how to use the tools. And I've been staying up late after getting the kid to bed to go through all the tutorials and trying to make sure we do it right. It's very hard to have consistently good quality when you're doing remote interviews. So much is left up to chance, but I take the extra money I have and I try to reinvest it in keeping THC in the upper third. 2022 was about the website and making it as good as it could be and a failed venture into marketing and ads. But 2023 is going to be getting the latest tools to keep audio quality high 
and this new template for video platforms to try to capture some new eyes. But without going back into shop talk, if anyone is really proficient with Isotope specifically and wants to help fast track me, or if you're a musician who wants to cover the intro song with the same lyrics in your own style, let me have it. Get at me. I will give you credit for your version of the song in the wrap-up and in the show notes, but I don't really want to shoehorn that into the intro because I like to just get right in there, you know? But I suppose all this is just to say that I hope you guys appreciate that I'm still hungry. I still try to make things better and serve you the best interviews I can for a wide variety of weird stuff. There are several comedy podcasts that I like that have recently had their audiences sort of turn on them for getting lazy, for phoning it in, for making bad changes that everyone hates, and for flexing their wealth too much. Not going to name names, but those should be some pretty easy clues if you're into those shows at all. But seeing that stuff helps me keep my eyes on the road. (laughs) So cheers to a new year, and big thanks to Chris as always. If you like what he does, he crushes it on his Patreon. So, so much content. Let his obsession be your benefit. (laughs) That's it for me. I love you guys. I'm so lucky you let me do this for a living. I will never cave to ads and sponsors, no matter how many times I'm asked, but please give Plus a shot. Seven-day free trial to get you started, and you will enjoy the full conversations. How could you not? Good luck to everybody on the year ahead and finding ways to enjoy it despite the system's best efforts. I've done my part. Your move, Watcher Cult Faithfuls, ritual event coordinators, and managers of the global motion picture stage show. Your fucking from space it was falling its light started calling it's making crop circles again just as i was looking up it showed me all the hidden stuff and now i'm all enlightened and zen waking up the masses is hard silver ships are coming yard by yard now i'm not asleep don't obey the Set me straight. I encourage you to go when you see the saucers glow. One by one, we'll all end up awake. Enlightening the masses is hard. Silver ships are coming yard by yard. Now we're not asleep. Don't obey the elite. Got a beam to the head. Now we start to wonder. No, we're not the sheep that they. Things up in the 
You want